0: across the uk online and on dab the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio
1: the big chief with a badge a cattle prod and a head on a stick
0: dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator
2: the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio
1: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talker Radio. It's been a harrowing 24 hours as we've all been reliving the horrors of the Manchester bomb last year and the start of the inquiry into how the Grenfell disaster could have been allowed to happen. As heartbreaking as the testimony was yesterday from survivors of the fire, a new investigation has revealed that not only was the inferno preventable but that the company that manufactured the insulation actually misled the main contractors about its safety and fire resistance. And now, thanks to Panorama we know that the material is on hundreds of other buildings all over the country. The fire Union is now calling for a major investigation and the company Celotex is cooperating with the police. There are so many failings of so many safety precautions in this story, it's almost impossible to know where to start. But certainly, it does seem as though there will be uh, some charges being brought for corporate manslaughter and probably somebody should be going to jail. 0344 four nine nine one thousand coming up later on we'll find out why eating alone might be the single biggest cause of unhappiness or alternatively it might be michael gove messing around and trying to ban things all over the place as he's doing again this morning wood burning stoves are the latest on his hit list oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand what has he got against the middle classes i wonder you're listening to me mike graham and daisy McAndrew on talk radio
3: the Independent Republic of
2: Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
1: Let's talk to Norman Brennan because a new rule uh, is going to be brought in by the government. Uh, the published today. Uh, the, the rules on police pursuits are supposedly going to change and the Police Federation is welcoming it. So let's find out from Norman uh, if this is a step in the right direction. Norman, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Yeah, good morning to you. Thanks very much indeed, as ever, for joining us. Um, this has probably uh, been a long time coming. Is it going to work, though, I suppose, is the question I'd ask.
4: Well, I supported the Police Federation's stance on this. Um, The public um, and victims of crime would have thought that uh, the law would have protected us anyway. Um, And in general, it does under the Road Traffic Act. We can drive um, a vehicle through red lights. We can exceed speed limits uh, when we are carrying out police duties. Mm. However, we are trained to a very, very high standard, unlike those that we're pursuing. But there came a time when certain lawyers started to prosecute those officers the crown prosecution service didn't protect us and the independent office of police complaints were just love pursuing police officers yeah Uh, pardon the pun so at the end of the day my colleagues said right that's it Uh, we've got our lives we've got our careers to worry about we don't want to do a job that we're highly trained to do if we're going to be under um under investigation for often years and when you think about it the police are not the criminals. We're protecting society. We're chasing and pursuing. We're not chasing. Chasing's too much of a sexy word. It's pursuing. That's how we look at it. Why should we be deemed as the criminals when we're trying to protect society?
5: But So, Norman, what's changed on a practical level?
4: I think it's the ethos of who we are, what we do, and how highly trained we are, and finding ourselves being prosecuted. Now, hopefully, the law will be amended where we're involved in pursuits. And don't forget, every time there's a pursuit, there's a control officer controlling what we do. Now, if they know the areas that we're going into, and for for argument's sake, Manchester Town Centre, London, if we go into Oxford Street, where there are thousands, countless thousands of members of the public, our control room, if we haven't already, will then say abandon the pursuit, which we would do. Mm. However, there are many occasions where it is safe to nudge a moped driver or a motorcyclist off of their uh, bikes. You see it in America. They're highly trained. We're highly trained. But should that person uh, tragically get injured, which is never our desire, or on occasions die, a police officer should not be prosecuted for manslaughter when all they're doing is carrying out their duty to protect society and stop people committing and getting away with crime.
1: No, because the obvious uh, result of, of, of criminals knowing the police will not chase after them is to continue with the crimes because they've got no fear uh, to, of, of, of being caught.
4: Absolutely. Your, your guest or your, your one of the presenters there has just uh, highlighted moped crime. When you think moped crime has gone up, not 10%, not 15%, but 1,000, hmm. 1,600% in five years... What it is, is that many of these young kids, and that's what they are, they know that the chances of us pursuing them will be close to zero, and they know that there are lawyers that are making our lives a nightmare, and certainly enhancing them and encouraging them to commit
5: crime. Yeah, that, they're yes, basically going around with stop. their two fingers stuck up, aren't they? You know, you can't, you can't catch me. I'm fascinated by this business that Mike was talking about also, the um, not wearing the helmet, that that has been a problem for the police because if they can see that one of these riders hasn't got a helmet on, they're even less likely to pursue because so worried are they that, they, uh, they, that they'll be blamed for any subsequent head injuries.
4: That's absolutely right. And let's be quite clear here. I mean, you don't have to be a brain surgeon or a rocket scientist. If you commit a crime and you're trying to escape on a moped or a motorbike and you know that the pursuing officer will stop because you take your crash helmet off, then you're right. It's a license to commit crime. The message now to anyone that wants to go out and commit those types of crime, it's never our intention to injure you or kill you in any way, shape or form. It's to stop you. And now my colleagues know that there's a clear message to them a clear message to the public and those that commit crime that we will pursue you and if we need to nudge you off your bike, if we need to prevent you from causing very serious danger and probably uh, homicide to a member of the public we would do all within our highly trained officers skills to ensure that that's what we will do.
1: Will this result do you think Norman in more um, sort of police patrols out on the streets and you know, has the previous um, situation meant that fewer police officers were willing to drive in cars?
4: Well, no, not at all. Unfortunately, you'll probably know I did an interview with you about uh, eight or ten months ago. Mm. We've lost twenty-seven percent of road policing in Britain. That is a huge number. We didn't even have that in in the first place. So, no, there won't be any more police officers on the streets. We keep hearing about stabbings, which uh, I do a lot of interviews mm. on, and shootings.
1: Well, another one um, yesterday in uh, in broad daylight in Islington, as I mentioned.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And what they say is is that uh, we will be putting more police on the streets. Well, no, they're not putting more police officers on the streets. What they're doing is they're taking police officers off of other units and other areas, which means that they're even less policed than what they are at the moment. And what we do is we send officers out on those particular areas for two or three days. That's only to appease the public. That's what police chiefs do. Uh, that is not right. What isn't, what isn't also right is the loss of 21,805 police officers in the last 10 years. So the public are at more at risk. There are less of us to do our job. And if we find out the subject we're talking about today, that our hands and feet are tied and we're prevented from pursuing those that make people's lives a nightmare. What does that say about our criminal justice system? Nor- it's a sensible decision.
5: Norman, can I just take back to the, the beginning of this um, sort of conversation was obviously about the fact that police, you know, until, and hopefully now this will be changed, um, couldn't pursue a lot of these um, kids on, on mopeds for fear of being prosecuted. To your knowledge, have police been prosecuted? And, and, and what's sort of the worst example of that? I mean, have any police been sent to prison for for, you know, for harming these, these kids on mopeds? Or was it just the threat of that?
4: I don't, I don't recall any, but I do recall a number. There's one Cambridgeshire officer at the moment who's uh, a highly trained p- pursuit officer that has just been charged with a very serious road traffic uh, offence. Mm. But the, the point is, is that why should we be under investigation for months and sometimes years for carrying out our duty to protect society? And it's pretty much like when my colleagues on the very rare occasion shoot somebody. P.C. Anthony Long a highly trained officer, and he'd shot, I think it was three or four individuals on three different occasions, and he shot them dead. He was under investigation for 10 years. When you give police officers firearms, when you give police officers highly powered vehicles and you train them to the highest degree that you can, why should they be the ones that are accused of an offence when all they're doing is pursuing offenders? And a caveat, which I think you need to know, and also the public, is even when we shoot somebody, if a police officer has the honest belief in his mind, in that split second, that that person has a firearm and poses an immediate danger to that officer, other officers, or the public, and that officer shoots them, it later becomes a chair leg wrapped in silver or whatever, If a police officer has an honest belief that they're carrying out their duty, because we're not robo-cops, in law, even under those circumstances, it's called mistaken belief. But if it's believed at the time that the officer is doing the right thing, surely it is only right and sensible that the law protects that officer. Otherwise nobody wants to carry a firearm. Nobody will want to be pursuit driver.
1: Well that's true. But unfortunately the world isn't as simple as that, Norman, as you as you well know. And I mean, even now with this new supposed recommendation from the government and, and an unveiled plan to say that, you know, you go ahead and chase people, if these lawyers come back at you at some point in the future, then once again there might well be a judge that will side with the with the perpetrator and, and the police will suffer.
4: Well, th- The police federation and people like me that um, have been lead spokesman on policing and law and order, certainly myself, for 25 years, uh, we will ensure that the government ensure that when we carry out our jobs in very dangerous situations and it's not our pursuit and not our fault. And don't forget, police officers are not exempt from the law. We're exempt from road traffic uh, acts. However, if our driving is of a low standard where we have actually... Um, not been driving to the qualifications that we are and have taken the risk that we shouldn't have done, then we are open to an investigation. And if we have broken the law and we haven't driven to the high standards that are required, then, yes, it's only right that we are open to prosecution, but that will be very, very rare because most of these officers are so highly trained you can't get any safer drivers on the road, not even motor um, and drivers.
5: Norman, can I ask you on a very practical level, because obviously we mentioned at the beginning that the um, increase in the crimes committed by you know, guys or you know, people on mopeds or motorbikes has gone up uh, 1,600%. But it was just, I was just thinking about that and thinking, wouldn't they be better being pursued by um, police officers on motorbikes rather than in cars? Um, and I was wondering whether there'd been an increase, whether the police had reacted by increasing the number of motorbikes on the road.
4: We probably don't have as many motorbikes to pursuing, but yes you will see on the rare occasion the thing is it's normally safer for police officers to be on four wheels than two wheels so normally when we're trained you you hear about t what t means is that you couldn't do it with motorcycles but you normally get a minimum of three traffic cars which are highly powered bmws or, or other types of motor vehicles and what we do is we put one vehicle in front of the vehicle where it's safe to do. Certainly we call it the bandit car. We put another one alongside and the other one goes to the rear. Often they try to nudge us off the road, but we're trained to be nudged. We're trained for people to crash into our vehicles. So that is the safest way to do it. On a motorbike, you can understand the practicalities Mm. are is that the likelihood of a police officer being seriously injured or killed is much higher, so it's much safer for us, the public, and even those that we pursue, the offenders, to bring them to a safe stop. That is always our intention. On the other occasion, it doesn't work for the plans that we would like it to carry out
1: with or by. Mm. Absolutely right. Norman, listen, thank you very much indeed. It's a complicated issue, but one where I think we're in agreement uh, that the police should have the right to chase people without fear or favour uh, of being sued by these kind of ambulance-chasing lawyers. We want of a better phrase. <laughs> This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Daisy McAndrew is here. Coming up a little bit later on, we'll be talking about how eating alone makes you the most miserable uh, person on the planet, and you shouldn't do it because it will make you sad. 03444991000. Let's talk uh, to Hugh, though, uh, who wants to tell us a little bit about the construction industry in which he used to work. Hugh, very good morning to you. Good
3: morning, Mike. Good morning, Daisy. How are you
1: guys? Yeah, very well indeed. Thanks for calling. What would you like to tell us?
3: Well, I mean, I've I've been watching the Grenfell Tower sort of um, investigation. Yeah. Unfold. It should be fairly simple to work out who's at fault here. Um, you know, every major construction project, in fact, every minor construction project, is, uh, is regulated and checked. Um, you know, the Grenfell project would have started out with an architect. He would have specified the standards of products that should be used uh, right through it, um, according to the various regulations. That's a, a professional role, and you, could, you should rely on an architect to get that bit right. <laughs> then, it, then it goes out to tender, a main contractor is appointed, uh, and he uh, accepts the job at a tender price to actually provide what the architects asked for. Uh, and then all the way down the project, it's tendered out on the, uh, the various subcontract elements. Uh, and the Sully product that was used, um, you know, if it was uh, said to be of the, of the required standard, the, the contractors would not be at fault. Mm. Um, if the manufacturers lied about the, 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 their product, I will, I'll be gobsmacked because that's, you know, you're talking about a reasonably large company that's been going for a reasonably long time. Yeah.
1: I mean, they um, so far, I mean, it's, it's difficult to say as, as of yet because there are police investigations going on. They so far have not denied the allegations made by Panorama. Um, and it would certainly appear that um, the, the regulations, if indeed they were followed, are not sufficient, surely.
3: Well, you know, some of these things are extremely difficult to test. I mean, I, you know, I, you know it's, I, I happen to be a roofing specialist myself, but so I don't know a lot about uh, boards, insulation boards used on uh, that sort of project. But, yeah. you, know, you know, they will have been gone through laboratory tests uh, to show how quickly they burn and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I mean,
5: this, this was one of the um, points that Maura, who was making at the very top of the show, and she was saying that a lot of the tests are simulation computer simulations yeah. they're not real live tests and well, that, that's, that's one of the things that should dating. should be well she was she was saying that and I think Dame Judith Hackett has said also that uh, that, that that they sh- they shouldn't be sufficient
3: well what are you what are you going to do build a 25 story block just to test the product well
1: no but i mean i was watching for example something on uh, the bbc news last night where they burned together the cladding uh, a small piece of the cladding and a small piece of the uh, insulation which had never been apparently put together and fire tested
3: well, that's quite quite possible, I guess, because there'll be two separate manufacturers. There, yeah. is there. there are bodies like the British Research Search Establishment, the BRE, uh, that test construction projects independently. They charge an arm and a leg for them, um, you know, so they're very expensive to actually go through that process. Um, but, you know, uh, there would have been some sort of test done on this product by somebody, by the manufacturer concerned, and they will have pledged that it's... It, 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 uh, Uh, you know, applies to the appropriate British standard. Um, If that product was dubious, somebody should have questioned it. I mean, there's lots of steps within this process. Um, You know, so somebody along the the line has... Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's either broken the specification, which, which would be illegal. Um, or, or somebody's lied about what that product can do.
5: But also, so, Hugh, you, you, you mentioned at the top the uh, you know that there would have been an architect involved with it, with, with all of these um, yep. projects. And actually, the Royal Institute of British Architects they have said quite flatly that they want more um, uh, products banned, that they want these inflammable claddings banned.
3: Yes, and I, I'm, I'm sure they do. I mean, the, the trouble with uh, architecture, like every other profession, it's been watered down by cost-cutting, cost-cutting over the years. You know, when I first started in the industry in the sort of uh, early 80s, an architect could write, oh, we will use this product on this job, and that would happen, and nobody could change it. Nowadays, they write, "We you know, a product to this standard mm. must be used, because they can't say one product, because it ends up costing somebody an awful lot of money to specify that product.
1: And isn't it also the case that some of this cladding was chosen because it was supposedly uh, compliant with certain new regulations coming from the
3: European Union? Uh, it, it, it's possible i mean it, it's certainly possible and then, and you would hope that they've been tested to that level otherwise the system has failed right. somewhere and what but, would you, you know, do here about
1: truck. what would you do about the supposed suggestion that there's hundreds of buildings in this country which have got the same uh, you know non fire retardant um, uh, insulation on them because presumably that's going to be a massive job first of all to identify where they all are and then to remove it
3: well it shouldn't be a massive job to identify where they all are because somebody's put the damn stuff in a lorry and delivered it to site
1: yeah but it so... won't be just one company will it
3: um, no, but it'll all come from the manufacturer's uh, factory, uh, just to start with. Um, you know, it, it may have gone to a, an intermediary, a builder's merchant, and, and been taken from there, but it shouldn't be impossible to track that down. Um, there should be a paper trail for all of this. I mean, I'd be gobsmacked if they don't already know who's to blame, because, you know, it, it's not that long a paper chain. I mean, you've got a main contractor uh, who's, who's won the contract and said he would do A, and he's then subbed it out to somebody else and who said they will do A, and if yeah. they've done B instead, they're culpable. If the manufacturer's product does not meet the standards it claims to, they're clearly clearly responsible. Yeah. But finding where the product's gone really shouldn't be that hard, not for a, you know, a, a police officer to, to check through, because the, the, you, know, you, you can't deliver something that's quite large and weighs quite a lot to site without having some record of it somewhere. so No, but be... no,
1: I mean, what it seems to me to, to be proving and pointing to is the fact that there hasn't been very many eyes on any of this for quite a long time, and that basically it's been left, the business of construction has been left to its own device, uh, and they've been kind of regulating themselves to a large extent, and this is what's happened.
3: Well, no, because there's all sorts of regulations that you have to adhere to. I mean, you'll have seen kite marks on things that you buy, um, and that is um, is a government, you know, a, a sort of a an administrative regulation that says the product has to meet this criteria, um, and that will have been tested. That's where the things like the British Research Establishment come in. So, you know, if you've got an insulation product that has the kite, the relevant British Kite Mark or European Kite Mark, I guess, um, you know, everybody should be happy that, that it reaches that standard. Um, and if that, you know, and the architect will say, I, I'm specifying cladding yeah. B. Uh, because it meets the kite mark of um, the relevant number, but this
5: seems to be the central allegation uh, that the product, the insulation that was sent off to be tested to get the relevant kite mark or whatever it was, was not the, was a, a better product than the product that was actually supplied, um, and you know, and the one that was supplied did not should yeah. not have carried the same kite mark. It was an inferior copy of the of the one that had been sent to the regulators to get to and get it, passed if happens, and stamped. Somebody,
3: somebody has cut 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 costs somewhere and someone has made that decision. Yes. But lots of people will have had to have signed off on that to say that that product was you know okay Um, yeah you know that that may well be where the criminal activity has taken place um and yes the building industry is is, but that uh, is the
1: problem i mean a lot of people blame the council for their inability to to spot how this was going on but in fact if you're not an expert in the building industry and you're Hmm. being asked to kind of okay something that's being shown by various building companies to be all right and Hmm. to be seemingly the best choice of uh, of material you're Hmm. not likely to turn around and go we're not doing that are you
3: it's not the council's fault. I mean, that's just political posturing on, on all sides. There, there are professionals involved in this. There would have been architects, quantity surveyors, you know, clerks of works, all sorts of people that are responsible for, the, uh, for that project or for bits of that project. Uh, and if, this, you know, if a product has been used which is, is of a lower standard than what was specified... Um, somebody has has, has, uh, has pulled a fast one. Mm. And
5: Hugh, in your experience in the in the building trade, um, you know, people are now talking about criminal proceedings. People are talking about manslaughter charges. People are talking about those responsible, you know, serving prison time. How realistic do you think it is that we'll see anybody on the sort of corporate construction side of things actually? you know, being sentenced for a crime and, and perhaps serving a jail sentence?
3: Well, it's happened before. I mean, it used to happen within the cement industry on, on a regular basis that for people that running cartels to fixed prices went to jail. But, I mean, you know, this will be fairly straightforward. There, there will be a point where product B was, uh, hmm. was exchanged for product A, uh, and if that was done with a legal intent or without, you know, a, you know that, that person will be culpable. And there's every chance that they will go to jail because that would be horrendous because yeah. no, nobody wants to, you know, none of the people working on that building site wanted to fix a product that wasn't going to work. Right. They might no. want to fix a product that's £10 a metre cheaper mm. uh, but they, they still expect it to work and, you know, somewhere along the line the system has fallen down. But there are regulations in place. The testing you know, you, you can always say we should spend more money on testing things but, you know, the, the BRE who I've had quite a lot of dealings with over the years whilst they're expensive, they do a pretty good job and, you know, they will have burnt these Panels in in a lab somewhere, and they will have uh, have tried to uh, you know to set a standard to, to to actually say these products work to this level. Um, if they've been fixed and they weren't supposed to be, wouldn't meet the criteria. Somebody's messed up big time.
1: That absolutely seems to be the case. Hugh, thanks very much indeed for your call, Hugh from Rygate, there uh, with his information from the construction business. <laughs> Whatever would we do if it wasn't for Michael Gove telling us how to live our lives? I mean, he's already messed up the education situation in this country. In all state schools, nobody knows which end is up. Uh, Pupils (laughs) don't know what they're supposed to be studying. Teachers don't know what they're supposed to be teaching. But Michael Gove uh, has done a great job as education secretary, and now he's moved on to the environment where he's busy reorganising for the Daily Mail and his very, very nice wife who works for the Daily Mail.
5: I think he did quite a good job at justice because he was brave and was sort of. Yeah, but he's now obsessed with being
1: brave, right?
5: Yeah, that's his. Role as That's sort of the, you know, the, the individual warrior. But I think this business about banning you know, wood burners is yeah. absolutely daft. I mean, it's, you know, I actually b- agree with Caroline Lucas, who said it's like putting out a wildfire yeah. with a water pistol. Well, exactly. It's the wrong
1: target. I mean, meanwhile, in London, the cars are literally pumping the out HGVs. You know, <laughs> all sorts of poison because of Sadiq Khan and his ridiculous idea for, uh, you know, Congestionising London But let's talk to Ben Bradshaw Labour MP for Exeter Who's actually One of the more sensible people I've ever spoken to About (laughs) these matters Ben A very good Good morning morning to you Uh, Good morning to you too Now thank you very much Indeed for being The voice of reason on this I'm hoping you're going to be The voice of reason on it What is Michael Gove on Why does he think He has to save the world All of a sudden Well, he's an inveterate headline grabber, isn't he?
2: He goes on the radio and the TV in the morning uh, before coming to Parliament to actually announce this long-awaited strategy to grab a few headlines about wood burners, while, as you said in your introduction, completely ignoring the main contribution to air pollution, which we know is the second biggest avoidable killer in the country after smoking. We've just done a big select committee report into it, uh, which is transport, congestion and pollution in our cities. Uh, Nothing I heard about that this morning, although there is a statement coming up in the commons in an hour or so so we might hear something more
1: now strangely as well i mean i'd slightly take issue with his with his target audience here because is he kind of eating himself cannibalizing the tories in middle england because i don't imagine that there's an awful lot of inner city labour party voters with wood burning stoves what you will have is an awful lot of the oxford set uh, with a wood burning stove uh, and a horse and a, and a land rover
2: yeah, I mean, I think it's classic Gove, isn't it? It grabs a headline, it appeals to the Daily uh, Mail, but it's not actually addressing the really serious problems which are dam- damaging uh, people's health and costing the NHS £20 billion a year. And actually, there's a, there's a debate to be had about wood burners because certainly for some time they've been c- considered, particularly the ones that are, you know, low emissions, yeah. as a rather renewable way to heat your home because you, you grow trees which put out oxygen into the air, so it's a, it's a virtuous cycle instead of burning oil or coal... Uh, which are much dirtier. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's 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 really disappointing, and this is very serious because we, as a country, along with Germany, Italy, a number of other European Union countries, are facing massive fines for our failure to uh, meet uh, air quality targets. And these fines will 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 be paid by guess who? The hard-pressed council taxpayer. And they're passing the buck entirely down to local government in this strategy. So it would seem, it, giving powers to to local government rather than national government, saying this is. What what you need to do, and, and helping and enabling local government to do it.
1: And if it gives, sorry, uh, Daisy, just to interrupt you for a second. If it gives local councils power to charge drivers of diesel vehicles in congested areas, that is going to be the very thin end of the wedge. And after all, many people have diesel cars because Gordon Brown told them it was a better car to have.
2: Yeah, you're quite right. Although there's been a big drop-off in sales of diesel, not just because of the whole issue around air pollution and nitrous oxide and particulates, but also because of the, uh, the diesel uh, fixing scandal yeah. uh, that started off with, with Volks, uh, sure. wagon. And look, you know, we do have to do something about this, but you're right, we need a carrot as well as a stick. And I, I hope that there'll be something in the announcement later today on you know, helping people uh, with a scrappage scheme, funding a scrappage scheme for the most polluting diesel vehicles, which are a problem in our towns and cities and one of the main causes of the pollution we're trying to do something about
5: but presumably ben one of the, the the most harmful types of diesel is not the you know the private car but more you know the hgv the buses i know there's been some move to move buses away from um fuel into electric but that's it's a sort of few and far between surely those bigger vehicles are the ones that we should be targeting
2: yeah, there's, there's progress has been made on buses, and progress is on its way on taxes, quite radical progress. But you're right, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's, the, um, it's the smaller um, kind of vans and, and old vehicles, which are the worst. I mean, I have to say, I cycled down Oxford Street the other day, which is something I very rarely do because it's not very pleasant. And I did actually notice that I thought the air was better because the buses aren't as bad as they used to be, mm. and neither are the taxis. But this, this, this requires a much more joined-up and comprehensive approach with the government not lecturing local government uh, and not only giving them the powers but mandating them to do what is necessary in the worst affected uh, areas because it's at major health risk. It costs the NHS as I say billions of pounds and it's the second biggest avoidable killer and of course with smoking you can choose to give up whereas you don't choose you can't really choose to move house somewhere where there's less pollution. Maybe if you've got money you can but a lot of people who can't and the poorest people are the worst affected.
5: And the other thing Ben I found very puzzling, and Mike's kind of touched on this, is normally when you get a kind of a headline-grabbing policy statement like this, you can see... Where it's come from, because mm. you know that there's some sort of groundswell of public opinion, whether it's right or whether it's wrong, that the politician is yeah. possibly wrongly reacting to. But as far as I'm aware, there's no groundswell of public opinion about wood burners. You
1: know exactly where this is. It's come from the dinner party uh, table of Paul Dacre and uh, Sarah Vine and, and Michael Gove sitting around thinking how they could save the world. You know, overprivileged, yeah, overpaid, yeah. uh, <laughs> overinvolved in things they know nothing about. Is
5: that where it's come from, Ben? I'm just totally confused.
1: Well, I, I think, it, as I say, I think it's a, it's a
2: classic Gove uh, gimmick that appeals uh, to the readers of the Daily Mail because it's having a, having a bit of a go at uh, the kind of uh, more upper-middle-class uh, uh, Telegraph, Times, Guardian and Independent readers. But it's, it's, it's a, as I say, it's, it's a gimmick. It's class uh, war! shocking, isn't it? <laughs> there, may well, is. there may well be, may well be uh, you know, uh, things that you need to do uh, to, to stop the sale of, of the most polluting uh, uh, wood burners. But look, you know, it's, a, it's a tiny, tiny yeah. part Part of the problem compared with uh, the much, much bigger problem from, from road transport and, and marine transport and some of the other areas. Agriculture, for example, is a major contributor uh, uh, to, to air pollution. So, you know, th- th- it has to be a comprehensive approach, and I think it's a bit of a shame uh, that it's got trivialized into this issue around wood burning stoves.
1: Well, exactly. I mean, it reminds me of a campaign the Daily Mirror once ran when Piers Morgan was at the helm, uh, and I worked there as well, and it, was, it had been a tragic case of a, of a little toddler that had died on a, a, in a pond. And so they ran this campaign to fill in your pond. And it was like they realised that actually hardly any Daily Mirror readers actually had a pond. Very few of them actually had a garden, never mind a pond. And it just seems to me to be this kind of metropolitan elite um, view of the world in which they go, oh, well, you know, this is a terrible thing to to, to have, so let's let's ban it. I mean, Ben, can you do anything about this? Can you, as an opposition MP, you know, kind of argue against it in any way?
2: Well, yes, we can. And as I mentioned earlier, I've just sat on an unprecedented four joint force select committee uh, uh, inquiry into air pollution, uh, led by the Conservative uh, chair of the EFRA select committee, Neil Parrish. He is forced... I uh, don't know whether it'll be Mr Gove, but he's forced the government to come to the House of Commons in about half an hour's time uh, to explain this strategy. I suspect that uh, whichever minister is, is, is appearing for the government will face some fairly stiff questioning. And, of course, the government has to respond formally to our select committee uh, report. And although no Neil Parrish is a, is a conservative, he feels very strongly uh, about this uh, issue. And I think, uh, I think he'll give ministers and others of his will as well a bit of a drubbing. Yeah. I
5: think it's so refreshing to see a proper... A sort of cross-party approach, you know, whether it be in, in this case, um, because you know, select committees by their very nature are always cross-party, but to take the politics out of these really important issues. And, and it worries me when issues like this are pushed downwards towards local government, because local government very often is even more politicised and has even less expertise the national politicians. And you just yeah. see that it can, and, you know, I mean, whether it's, we've been talking about Grenfell earlier today, and I feel similarly that people with this incredibly important role of chair of planning are nearly always people who have absolutely no expertise in that area. And similarly, with things like you know, pollution, which is literally killing people, particularly in cities, it's, it's put in the hands of local councillors who have very, very limited expertise in this area
2: they do and they they also it's it's much more difficult politically at a local level, particularly if you're a small uh, council, my local council in Exeter is a small city council, to take measures that will actually tackle this, whatever you do is going to be unpopular with somebody so it makes it much easier for them if they're mandated by central government to do a certain thing rather than just Mm. giving the choice as to whether to do it or not. And the main problem here is it won't resolve the problem it won't stop the government being sued successfully again in the courts and it won't prevent Mm. uh, us having to Pay these huge fines, and that will be the test of this. And uh, I, you know, I, I, hope, I hope it's better than I hope it's better than the trailing of it has been.
1: But we'll see in, in about half yeah. an hour's time. And it's not going to make any difference to the quality of the air anyway. Ben, thank you very much indeed. Yeah. Ben Bradshaw, keep uh, up Labor the good MP work. Extra, <laughs> yeah, keep fighting the good fight. <laughs> Here's the other irony, right, of this: Jeremy Hunt, the health secretary, promises that Britain will set a gold standard for air quality. Shouldn't mm. he be trying to set a gold standard for the NHS, which is what he's in charge of? Never mind all this rubbish.
0: Across the UK, online and on DAB.